Welcome to Paint Radio with your host, Emily Howard and Andrew Dwyer. Paint Radio, your favorite radio. I'm Andrew. Emily is here. How are you, Emily? I'm doing really well. You know, we talked earlier about how you always just sort of say the same thing and that I think people want to hear a little more sincerity. We want to hear about the struggles (laughs) in your life instead of just saying, I'm good. So this is your second reminder. And (laughs) you're not going to do it again. We don't need to cry. But look, we all know there's tumult in your life. And we just we want to hear about it because we care. Anyone who listens to this knows that there's tumult in my life by just listening with you. That's right. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So the relevance of this will be apparent later. And the beauty of these is that I never tell Emily what it is I'm going to ask at the beginning of the podcast. And I just think that adds to the fun and the frivolity. (laughs) I don't know about Emily. (laughs) What is your athletic highlight of life? Because everybody has an athletic highlight, whether they're athletic or not. And it could be little hint about mine. It could be fourth grade dodgeball. Who knows? What comes to mind when you think of your athletic highlight? Oh, gosh. Probably learning how to roller skate backwards when I was 11. (laughs) (laughs) I'm very athletic. (laughs) Was there some like school function at the roller rink that you were prepping for? Was there someone you were trying to impress? I mean, I'm sure there was. But, you know, it was like Friday nights at the roller rink. I grew up in Cincinnati. That was absolutely not a thing <laughs> where, where I was growing up. Really? Oh, yeah. And so did you get to the point where you were just killing it? Oh, yeah. Backwards? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <sighs> Pigtails? <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. My high, I, I mentioned dodgeball. It was not dodgeball. It was kickball. And back in my summer days, we all just gathered at the school for what we called summer school, but it was nothing but like kickball and wiffle ball. And I nailed a kid who was like twice my age who was trying to score from third. And I nailed him in the back of the head. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you're not allowed to bean kids who are younger than you. But older kids are absolutely fair game. And I drilled him and I was like in fourth grade. And it was it was wondrous. And uh, everybody was very impressed. And that was my peak. I would say we both had very impressive athletic careers. I'm glad that that's clear to you, Emily. I hope it's clear to listeners as well. The topic for today, as much as we would love to discuss sports, this is not sports talk radio. This is paint radio. Topic today, we're talking about doing a better job of predicting and projecting revenue. And there's no one better to talk about that than Ryan Groth from Sales Transformation Group. He's the chief sales engineer and coach again at Sales Transformation Group. Ryan, sir, how are you? I'm doing well, and my face is stinging a little bit, smiling (laughs) at the athletic uh, accolades that we have here on today's show. So it's great to hear you and be here with you guys today. Yes, it must be uh, really momentous for you to be with such athletic stars. Ryan, (laughs) I'm happy to say, and as much as I would love to hear a gazillion stories from Ryan. Unfortunately, we won't be able to do that. But Ryan was a minor league baseball player in the, am I correct, in the Angels and perhaps the Pirates systems? Is that correct? Angels, uh, yes. I did play with them, signed with them. I was drafted by the Pirates, but did not sign with them. I went uh, to school another year. Okay. Am I correct that you were an outfielder? 
I was. I've thrown many a ball home, but haven't pegged anybody in the back of the head quite like you. So I'm, I'm really jealous that I had not had that. You're nicer than Andrew. You know, Ryan, I could have chosen to focus on baseball, but I chose to focus on kickball. I thought that was more my alley. So, and, uh, and I that's, excelled. That's sweet though. I mean, cause kickball beaning counts. So it's, that's amazing. That would feel really good. It's a great, great sport. Are there any, and again, the answer can be no, but do you draw much on your athletic career when it comes to working with painting contractors and building contractors? Cause that's what you do, right? You help construction companies and contractors of many varieties build better sales systems which, of course, as we're going to discuss today, includes projecting and predicting revenue better. To what extent, if at all, do you draw on your athletic career for that? Yeah, it sounds cliche, but business is a sport to me. Like whenever you're an athlete growing up and you start to play at a collegiate level, you're always competing, you're competing as a team and an individual, you're contributing toward that team to win a championship. And there's just glory that comes with that. Or if you play professionally money that comes with that and your performance ties to your potential and uh, to make a great living, a great career. So for me, my mindset as a teenager and young adult, early twenties was just formed around, you know, winning as a team, performing, working hard, and knowing that if you put in the hard work, you learn the fundamentals, you work as a team, you're onto a certain vision, you'll be successful. So I feel like that was my character building chapter, work ethic. I decided not to just quit after high school, but I went further. And you just find yourself noticing the road gets lonelier as you look to be better. And so most people get distracted or you know, they're just not as committed, right? The commitment question. I think that when you look at athletes, when you look at entrepreneurs, it's the same thing. They really are athletes. They're just playing a different sport. And uh, the sport is business. And in our industry, it's contracting. And so your league is really your local market or the market in which you're trying to address. And your system, your philosophy, your culture, your technology, your analytics, your sales process, your sales, everything, your athletes, the way you pay them, the jury's out. You have the decision to decide how you want to create and form that and train and coach to that onto whatever it is that you want to accomplish. I think in sports, it's really easy because you're always competing towards something and you love it. And so in business, what I love is just being able to translate that mindset and kind of sharpen my own focus and create my own vision. And it's, there's no trophy per se, but there's certainly uh, impact or money or lifestyle or metrics that you can shoot for. So I think it translates really well. Not every athlete becomes a great entrepreneur just because they still are kind of living in that chapter or they haven't turned the page. And there's plenty of people who weren't really that great at sports athletically, but are incredible in business. But I think that for me, I definitely carried it over, especially like when it comes to working hard and understanding how high performing teams function. And um, yeah, just, just overall seeing sports as an opportunity, a vehicle to uh, find fulfillment and do what we can while we're here. I love that. That is tremendous. I mean, obviously, there are some athletes who are just so talented that they can, man, they can go pretty far on talent alone with or without a work ethic. But obviously, most athletes, they need focus, they need determination. And of course, the exact same is true for people who want to succeed at business. I mean, you and I haven't chatted before. I'm somewhat familiar with your work. 
And so I can imagine that when you are in front of either a group of contractors or even just one-on-one, you're able to really plug into that mindset that, look, you got to be willing to put in the work. Mm-hmm. Let's tap into that mindset and let's execute greatness and let's achieve greatness. I got to tell you, your answer was way better. I mean, I expected a great answer, but it was it exceeded my expectations. Nicely done, Ryan. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so how did you get started? What prompted you to get started in the, how would you refer to it as the contractor consultation business? How do you describe your industry? Yeah, I love the trades, construction trades in general. I, My mom and dad divorced when I was young, so that was tough. Everybody who goes through, you know, as the oldest child, you wonder why. And, you know, that happened, and then my mom remarried. And so she remarried. We were living in South Florida, Boca Raton. And they started a construction business, ROI Builders, okay? And they're building remodels and building new homes. And, and I'm coming to visit them by living with my dad to South Florida. And I'm as a teenager, I'm like, and the grass seems kind of greener. They got a house in East Boca. They bought a Jeep Wrangler and they got a Jeep <laughs> Cherokee. They got a boat. Like, this is sweet. And um, my dad, he was more of like a test engineer at like a tech company, got like a government technology company in Florida. So there was just way different types of environments that their home life was when I would visit my mom and stepdad. I should have never shared this type of story on a podcast. So I'm glad you asked me. So what I did was I saw them succeed and I'm like, cool, this is feeling like kind of the American dream. Life is good. We're barbecuing, we're fishing. And I just felt like great about that as a teenager. I'm like, this is awesome. I did love baseball and I decided I would still remain very focused on that because they were always like, everybody was like, hey, just go to college, get your degree. And so I felt like that was important to do. But uh, I did see that my parents, although they seemingly were making money, they also started to struggle. And when the recession hit, their business started to struggle. They were in debt to their suppliers. And I saw, I kind of witnessed failure in many regards of what I was hoping was success would be a certain way. I I witnessed the failure. Actually, their marriage didn't make it either. And for me, I was just like, ain't gonna happen. (laughs) Like, I don't want to see that happen with me, this go around. Like, no. So I went and played pro ball. I actually went collegially. All that was basically solo. My mom had ended up divorcing. My dad was in a tough spot. And I was just like on my own, you know, just trying to find a path through baseball to kind of start to realize some of the success that I think many people desire. And although baseball ended and it didn't translate to the glorious big league career and all that good stuff, I kind of walked away saying, hmm, what do I want to do from here? And I started to explore. I started a family and met my wife. We didn't have an idea how we would make money. We just both knew we would be as a team and figure out how to be successful together. And so I always was interested in business, but it wasn't until one of my friends who I'd met through my wife's friend, who was like about eight years older than me, kind of became a big bro in a lot of ways, was very successful in business. And I was just kind of confiding in him. I'm like, man, we, you know, we're about our first kid coming. I'm doing a bunch of baseball lessons for kids and I want to be successful. And I'm 25 about at the time, 26. And uh, many baseball players don't transition well out of baseball. They're doing lessons forever, right? Or they never really find a way. So when he, he spoke to me, he's like, Hey bro, I mean, if I was you, I would, I would just get into sales. He's like, you're a competitor. You're a great communicator. If it was one of my other companies, I'd hire you in a heartbeat. And I was just like, wow sweet like that gave me a boost of confidence because i saw somebody who i looked up to tell me something that i didn't know because at that point i just thought sales was 
something that wasn't important or you, you're kind of doing selling something you didn't believe in and you know all those beliefs about sales that people have when they're just exploring and so i'll just cut to the chase i met him he ended up realizing i'm gonna do it whatever i'm gonna do i'm gonna do it i was pro athlete i know how to work he started to introduce me to like his network which was all the more wealthy guys doing things the right way in business in south florida and that relationship ended up forming and i met a roofing contractor in south florida who was very sophisticated in his market and he had, at the time was doing about 24 million they're in the 60s now all repair and re-roofing so wow. for commercial for the painting world that'd be like very high-end residential and then b2b like commercial account model so i found myself just finally receiving guidance and sales and business in the contracting space in a way that I never saw my parents and my stepdad be able to have access to. And I was like, wow, if only. And so what I'm going to do now is gather as much information as I could. I actually launched follow-up CRM there. That's why I started with him. It used to be called just BidLog. It was a BidLog product. It's just tracking bids and pipeline management. So I started to just learn from the sales trainers he brought in, became the sales trainer started to consult other companies and other trades and helping them build sales organizations. And for me, I just had such a desire to solve that problem because my mom and stepdad, gosh, if they would have had that problem solved, it would be different. So of course, I don't regret anything because thankfully now I was able to take that, you know, whether it was pain or whatever you want to call it and turn it into something good. It motivated me to say, man, if my parents had that struggle, how many other people, if they only knew how to really truly build truths like sales teams. And then with my athletic background and being part of high performing quality teams just slid right over to business. And then as a person who deals with people as a coach with a sense of urgency to try to help people, both not just for my own survival <laughs> to grow my life, but to make a difference and help others, all that just kind of wound together in this perfect storm. And I just said, it's time, it's time for me to start consulting. And so I started sales transformation group after about a four and a half year chapter implementing follow-up CRM and coaching on top of the CRM usage as a consultant to hundreds of companies. And I just had the confidence and the knowledge and the certainty that I can step out. So I felt like why leave the niche that I love? Why leave the niche that appreciates what I'm doing and isn't the most tech savvy early adopter that in fact, I can take and learn things and make a difference quickly because in most cases, the contracting industry is a little bit behind, but I'm on a mission to change that because when I was witnessing and see and still am remaining to see when companies are doing things the right way, fundamentally for the right reasons with technology, building a great team, focusing on sales in the right way, just get becoming more professional and sophisticated. It impacts a lot of people. They feed a lot of families. They can get back to the community. They could finally get out of debt. They can have a company that their daughter or son is actually interested in being a part of. Unlike me, I didn't have a chance to take over and take it from a 2 million to 10 million or whatever the case may be because it broke down, right? And so bottom line is so many situations. I mean, we're talking about thousands and thousands of people. So for me, it's uh, it was just like, you know, this is an easy way for me to feel useful and to uh, actually make a difference and provide for my family as well. So I never thought I'd be this good. I mean, I'm grateful as I'll get out in a pretty short time and just continue to try to make it better. So one of your big talking points is revenue predictability. And, you know, what your mom and your stepfather experienced is absolutely not uncommon in our space. In fact, more businesses fail than succeed. And that's the reality of the situation. And, and sales is a big piece behind that planning, predictability. So 
I mean, I think a lot of contractors would probably say that it's not possible. They're watching money come in. They're watching money go out every month. They may not have a super great hold on their numbers, but how possible do you think that revenue predictability is for the average painting contractor? I think that if they're running a tight ship and got things down, they can be within 10, 15% each quarter or month of what they would say we're forecasting to sell if they do things the right way. And obviously selling is not producing, which becomes the profit and the revenue when it hits. The cash comes in, but yeah, I mean, everything starts on the sales process and everything starts up front. There's some variability around predictability. Like, is there a seasonality to the business? Is there not? Are they in residential? Are they not? Are they in commercial? Are they not? But let's just pretend you have your general painter who does residential and uh, some light commercial and they like to grow that, right? That'd probably be the most common category of the industry. And it's very possible. And we could talk about that now, but but certainly it is because many of the variables that affect predictability are addressable. For example, like most people just wait for a lead to come in or a phone to ring or hopefully that marketing company that's so great, just going to generate something or SEO is taking longer, but here it comes. A lead comes in or word of mouth or organic referral comes in. And most of the time, somebody just goes out there when they can, give them a price and then wait, right? They may email it and wait. And so that's just a very common way or if they ever get to it. And there's no predictability because there's not a sales process with milestones that create urgency and there's not any follow-up or there's not any tracking and there's not any data trail. of. And so over time, when those variables are addressed, it's really cool because now you're like, well, this many leads should equal this many sales and this many sales should equal this many anticipated gross profit in our backlog. And then when we complete it, we have this much in the backlog and then therefore or in the pro- and much, much net profit. And therefore we can predict, do we need to hire more people? Do we need to train on more crews? What do we need to reinvest into to make the business grow? Because we have a system that supports our ability to say, yep, we know that if we have this much, it's going to equal this. And I don't have to worry, toss and turn, wondering, you know, am I going to have enough for payroll? Or this new project manager I just hired. So really, there's a sense of urgency. But if you just have a deliberate focus on sales on the front end and just make sure you're engineering that process right, get the right software, right sales process, right coaching, right training, right tracking, we could really make that happen. So what would you say, like if the average contractor who's out there doing exactly what you said, right, relying on word of mouth, maybe you've got some SEO happening, an ad here or there, an old client list that you might try to reactivate every once in a while, but you're doing the, the sales, the estimating, in the same time you're, you're operating in the field a bit or all the time as well. When you make up your mind at some point that you want to build systems and predictability into all of your business, How much time should you first set aside, say per week, to start looking at what's happening in your business so that you can predict the future of what will happen to your business? First, I would want to make sure I ask the question to the contractor, why? Right? Because if their why isn't really clear, then they're not going to have the grit or they're not going to maybe be as committed to make decisions and say, oh, that's not a good use of my time or that is. So they have to kind of just get a why and a vision pretty early on and I, I asked them to do that so that they're really able to focus and then start to reverse engineer what they need to do to get there. I think that once, if an owner can actually track their own sales and be disciplined to implement a sales process, receive some coaching, get better at it and start prospecting and leveraging organic methods first, 
they're going to be like twice as rich and they're going to be really happy really quickly. So they'll be like, all right, this works. Sweet. Now I could afford to, if as long as I don't take my foot off the gas, I could afford to just start to train up a project manager and have a playbook for that. Great. So let's get a project manager installed so they can fulfill the work. Let's optimize some things administratively and automate that with the software. And here we go. And now I have a humming machine. Now what I need to do is just take myself out of the sales process with salespeople. And then once we recruit them properly and onboard them with the playbook and get them up and running, start handling them, they need to coach them for a while. And the faster they can, the more effectively they coach and the better talent they have. Now they can look at themselves as a manager and start to say, okay, here's how many leads. Here's our pipeline. Here's our closing ratio. We're addressing that. Here's our backlog. And here's what we can anticipate. Here's what's in receivables. And then you just look at this like a machine and you're just like, here's my offense. Here's my defense. And now they're just coaching, reinvesting, coaching, reinvesting on all those areas of their business with the right amount of information being tracked so that they can just say, all right, I got enough, you know, the law of large numbers actually works. So once they have a large enough data set, it works. So starting with your vision, understanding your why, and it's interesting that if anyone here hasn't listened to our mission vacation series, this is exactly where almost every mission vacation starts with. This is that a contractor has to understand their why, where they're going so that everybody is actually pulling the cart in the same direction. But from the sales side specifically, what are some things that you are looking at first off so that you can help to start creating some predictability? Are you looking at close ratios, number of leads, where those leads are coming from? What are a couple of the key points that you're looking at? Yeah, I do look at close rate. I look at what's out in the pipeline at certain stages. Those are important. I look at the number of accounts that have worked with them on repeat levels so they can grow those accounts. And I look at number of organic referrals and leads versus paid ads or paid lead services generated through paid. But what I would say is the first thing I do is most important is I evaluate the sales professional or the owner or the sales manager with a tool that we use that helps them to see where they actually measure up with an overachieving elite salesperson or sales manager. And what we do is we expose and highlight all their sales strengths and their hidden sales weaknesses that they didn't even realize they had that are locking them up. For example, one of those could be like how they buy. If they think everything over when they buy, when a prospect says they need to think it over, they're going to be super empathetic of that prospect saying they need to think it over. And therefore, they're going to accept the put off. And then you have that deal sitting there in the pipeline just kind of getting colder, right? Or that nothing ever happens versus a really good salesperson doesn't think things over too much when they make a decision. They're decisive. And therefore, when somebody has a problem, a compelling reason to fix it, they're committed to fixing it, their timeline with the decision makers, and then they say they need to think it over. They're just more asking like, well, tell me why. Like, what is it that we don't understand yet? Or is it anything about the pricing, a solution, or timeline? Therefore, you're able to overcome more objections that's just one like example. So what we do is we evaluate these salespeople or these owners, put them against an overachieving elite sales professional and show 21 core competencies and give them a red score, yellow or green score. And what we want to do is if we can change the red to green, then they're going to be able to fulfill a sales process that allows them to have the ability to predict. For example, if they just show up Hey, let's cool. Let me take a look. They don't ask any questions. They don't really find out what they want. They're not guiding them. They're not consulting them. They're not with the decision maker. They're not setting the tone. There's many variables. And then they just give them a price via email. And then they don't reply for a week and they're wondering what happened. They're just kind of on to the next thing. Well, they can't predict their sales very well because they don't have enough information. They didn't track it. 
But if we get their mindset unlocked to removing what's holding them back from their ability to fulfill a really good sales process, which we actually have and we teach and we coach to that, now they're like, awesome. So every deal, I have a structured approach. I know what milestones I'm going to hit. I can still be myself and be natural and not robotic. But therefore, I'm able to, by the time this proposal comes, it's either closed or I know if it's going to close or not. And then you do that enough times with a good close rate. Now you have a real sales athlete, like I say, being tracked like you know, on the scoreboard. And we have just have some objectivity around things. Okay. Ryan, when you're working with contractors and you're talking about the need and the process of forecasting, I'm sure you run into quite a few who say, nah, I don't need to do that. I'm good. My revenue is right where I want it. Let's skip to the next step. How do you convince them or what do you say to them to get them to be believers about the need for forecasting? I'm pretty disciplined early stage to just ensure that I set the tone and like let them know I'm going to ask them some questions so I can find out their current situation, what their desired situation is, see what areas we can address. So I like say, hey, I'm going to ask you a lot of questions. I might even interrupt you at times to make sure I get somewhere so I can bring some value in from there. We'll let you know what we have to offer, how it works and everything. And then you can let us know if you want to be a part of what we're doing or not, if we want our help. So we kind of like set the whole call up for them to be ready for us to ask a ton of questions. And they're excited because because they agree to that. They're not typically pushing me saying, hey, I want to know this or I want this. Tell me the price because I, as a sales professional, you know, I'm setting the right tone for an environment for them to answer my questions and for them to talk for less versus me talking and talking about me. What ends up happening is when they say predictability or not having it's a problem, I just ask why, how they try to fix it. Tell me more about that. Why is it a problem? How is it affecting them? And typically they're just like, just frustrated and they're sharing how frustrating it is. And then I kind of relieve them of that emotion. And then I ask them about what they really want and what's the perfect situation look like. And then they're like, I want to be able to predict. I want to have a team that's doing this. I want to be able to spend more time with my kids. I want to be able to build a great culture. I want to be able to work on the business versus in it. And so now I have this frustrated, agitated situation. Then I have this desired situation. And then because I kind of put a, like a GPS, like there's where you are. And then we just kind of GPS your final destination. And it's out on the table in a conversation. The gap or the line, the route to get there, they're hoping that we could give them the fastest line or the fastest path and that it would work. But at this point, they're thinking, I can't get there without help because I haven't been able to get there yet. Let me throw a sports analogy at you. And mm -hmm. I'm serious. You feel free to shoot holes in this. Emily shoots holes in my theories all the time. So you <laughs> should do the same. So when you talk about a baseball swing or a golf swing or tennis motion, good coaches talk about you have to have something that's repeatable. And my concept of that is that because when it starts to not work, when you get into the slump, you have to be able to understand why. And so if you have a repeatable swing and the mechanics of which you understand and then something's off, especially when you talk about like a pitching motion, that you can dive into those mechanics and isolate the problem. Is that similar to why you need to be able to forecast? You need to understand your business and your process and how you ended up here so that when you end up somewhere you don't want to be, you've got the data right there. Let's dive in. Let's find out where you got off track. Does that make sense? Or Absolutely. should okay. I stop talking? You're on it, Andrew. Super, super <laughs> solid. That was, <laughs> and, no, I'm all, I'm 100% in agreement because business is not luck. Some people get lucky, but, but most people don't. You may get lucky once, but you won't get lucky like over 30 years, right? It's a cause and effect formula. And I think that 
there are the human elements, there's emotions, there's all these different variables. But if you can do your part and say, hey, I'm going to be faithful with what I can do, which is, you know what, I'm going to be, here's our process. Here's why and I, I'm measuring it and I'm breaking it down. I could say, okay, what is it that is causing this? You end up being a lot more aware and a lot more savvy than just feeling frustrated and just saying, you know what, I just hope for the best tomorrow and I'll just keep doing what I'm doing. It's like a person just swinging, 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 and then missing and missing and missing and never really finding out why they're not hitting the ball, but they keep doing the same thing. On the other side, an entrepreneur will just try a million things and they'll just get kind of schizophrenic, right? <laughs> and they'll just go all over the place and they'll be like, well, I need to hurry up and hire this marketing company. I need to hire this marketing company. Or I need to hurry up and do this. Or I need to get this bookkeeper. You know what? This person seems to help everything and they're going to change my life, right? Like no one's going to change everything for you. Like you're going to change everything for you. They just may influence or inspire you to do that. And I always want to position myself as more of a comrade and a brother, not a guru, right? Because I'm not going to change everything. You're going to be the one that does it. I'm just going to give you or ask great questions and challenge you and then give you some tools and then give you guidance as a, someone in your corner, right? Not the person that's doing it. So I don't know if that answers your question, but I'm connected with your statement. Well, so you talk about too, you talk about five steps to building predictability. You guys have kind of a five-step outline there. Mm -hmm. Tell us about those five steps. Yeah, I think the first step is just making sure you're playing in the right environment. I like to call it Mars versus Maui. Like on Mars, there's like no oxygen and you can't breathe. There's no resources. There's like little, like the oxygen you have to breathe is in your, your spacesuit, right? Versus Maui, which is literally where I moved to. It's like full of resources, like beautiful fruit trees. And so the first question I like to ask is, where are you trying to sell? Like, who's your client? And who Mars is, is the general contractor who loves to beat you up on price. It's the cheap homeowner who is super cheap and you got to like just try to basically make no money just to keep your crews growing and just to pay the bills like versus who you really want to work with are the Maui clients where the people who need help, who have a problem, who are not professional buyers, who aren't really, really educated on your, on what you do that can tell you how to write the scope or here's the spec or here's how I want it. Like they have a desire, but they're saying is I trust this person to do it and I want it done right the first time. And so when you're dealing with that type of customer and they're focusing on that Maui client, now because they're the expert and they're the advisor, they can command more margin. And in theory, they're the equal business advisor. Like they're the trust advisor versus just a painter quoting a job to the GC as a sub. You know what I'm saying? They're working direct and they're working with owners of buildings, property managers who don't know anything about it. They just want it done right. Or they're frustrated with somebody else who was unprofessional or did a bad job and things like that. And so when you focus on that, that's step one. Step two is, you know, have a vision and a plan and make sure that you know where you're going. And then we have any numbers and we start tracking those numbers so we can like, listen, you don't become like a sales engineer, you know, a money ball type player or type owner in 30 days. Like that's usually you need several, several sales cycles of data in there to make some decent decisions, but you need to make sure you start tracking. And then you want to have a sales process. So now that we have one, we're tracking and we have a vision and uh, we're focusing on Maui clients versus on Mars, where we're in a bid world or we're just dealing with tire kickers. We just basically now we have a sales process that's supportive of the milestones that we want, which is prospects to say I'm struggling or I'm frustrated, I'm agitated, I'm ready to do something, 
I'm committed. The actual decision makers are present. And so that we actually leverage technology like inbound forms, video sales letters, booking softwares. We teach them that. And then the salesperson themselves, whether it's online via, you know, Zoom calls and or in person, they have the milestones that they know to fulfill. They've been trained, they've been coached to that. And then they give compelling presentations that's toward the problem and they get deals done. Uh, and then their pipeline is being managed and measured if they're still pending and the decision's still out. And then you just coach, 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 coach. Just keep optimizing, keep becoming the best and just consistently repeat and just make small adjustments versus like have to change everything. It's all about like, listen, we have the leads, we have this track and we have the sales process. At this point, it's just making everybody better and making small tweaks, not rebuilding and rebuilding and rebuilding. So those are the main five steps. And at this point, you should have athletes heading in the right direction, being tracked and predictable clients who aren't bidding you and shopping you out. And therefore, you're not competing on price and you're actually dealing with people who care, who want help. And that's who you're working on. And then you're generating referrals and getting reviews from that ideal client and getting case studies that you can therefore market in the marketplace of people who are just like them, raise their hand and say, hey, they work with people just like me. And therefore, you get more of those good clients. Right. The right client yields more right clients. Absolutely. So we all know a very obvious sales mistake that contractors make here. And a couple of the ones that we've seen, right, not answering the phone. Number two, not showing up for estimates. Number three, not getting the estimate in in time. Besides that, what are some of the biggest sales mistakes that you see contractors making? So we're just going to give the fact that they actually showed up and responded. (laughs) And they actually delivered it on time and we still have problems. So what we're saying is that's really good if they do those three things at least. (laughs) You got to start somewhere, right? (laughs) We got to do that first. Good gracious. So um, that has to happen, you know, for sure. But like, let's pretend they're doing those things well. I would say that what the biggest mistakes salespeople make is that they get too excited too early about a lead. Like they're like, oh, it's a referral. It's going to close, right? Oh, it's like, this is going to go. And so what they don't do is they don't ask enough questions. Like they don't ask them anything. Like they don't know if they're the only painter. They don't know if they're one of 10. <laughs> they don't know if they're being shopped out. They don't know why they're buying this, what they want, what they're hoping to accomplish. They just give a ton of free consulting. They don't really create any tension in like a natural, authentic way in which the homeowner or the building owner is like really excited for help, right? They're just like, sweet. Well, how soon can you do it? And then they end up not doing it. And they realize that they weren't committed and they were just using their number for a better price. And they didn't weed out the tire kickers. Or if, even if they were remotely a tire kicker, they didn't really position themselves to create that value. And, that's, and so that's a big mistake. Therefore, they're not able to sell value and charge more what they're really worth. And they're more focused on they think they got to be a good, really, really competitive price to win the job versus charge what they believe that they're worth and make the margin that they want. So not asking enough questions, getting too excited, not being skeptical in a healthy way with prospects and making sure that they kind of hit some milestones and answer their degree of qualifying level of commitment and measuring their qualification ability before they get all excited and start saying, here, we can help. And that doesn't take much more than 15 to 25, 30 minutes if you're really effective. It doesn't take a long time to discover and ask those questions. Most people just don't do it. And therefore, they have more delayed closings, lower margins because they feel like they need to lower their price, things like that, and more think-it-overs and lower closing rates. So we just fix that given that they show up on time, they answer the phone, and they actually deliver on time. 
we fixed that. Now it's super dangerous. These people are selling higher deal sizes. This discipline is supportive of selling more commercial deals too. And then bigger residential jobs. Decisions are coming more quickly. Need to tie in some cool automation on the front end to help screen those tire kickers a little bit more through like quiz forms, questionnaire forms, and video sales letters and automatic bookings for speed. And then it's just a matter of more opportunities and your ability to fulfill them. He's the guy you want to talk to. Salestransformationgroup.com. He also, Ryan Groth, was on a team for a bit with Mike Trout. Ryan, we're going to have to bring you back on just to talk about those stories. Does that work for you? Yeah, we got to get my colleague John on here too, because he actually was his traveling roommate. I've had the joy of meeting John. Good. Yeah. Did you just say John? John. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> I, I had the uh, the good fortune of meeting John. Where was that, Emily? That was in Phoenix. Yeah. At the PCA, PCA event. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. And uh, I thought I hit just the right amount of peppering him with questions before he got annoyed with me, which Ryan <laughs> is hard for me. I seem to cross that line often, right, Emily? Always. So <laughs> every episode. Uh, it's a good thing this is only a weekly podcast, Ryan. <laughs> but no, this uh, really helpful information. So Ryan, if people were to head over to salestransformationgroup.com, great website. Any suggestions on where they should go first to uh, people who are new to your group to learn something about what it is you guys do? Yeah. So we have some social proof. We have different types of trades. I'm excited to start publishing some painting trade success stories as we have some that are really seeing some great results. And I'm looking forward to capturing some of those for their viewing pleasure and hearing their stories. But if they check that out, we have a courses tab that just shows a little bit of our outline of our course, a little nine minute review of that. But really, if they're serious, and they're like, man, I want to know how's this really work. We have a get a price that speckled and throughout the entire website, it takes you to a questionnaire. And that questionnaire, you know, allows me to ask them some questions. And from there, they're able to book a call and I will show up to that call for sure. It usually runs one of my sales associates and they're, and they're uh, growing and I'm training them right now currently, but some of them are really getting strong. So I'll be accompanied by one of them, but I'll be on a call, especially if it's a painting contractor, painting radio uh, prospect or client. I'd love to get them on and really just find out what's going on and share our, our whole process. It's usually conducted over a one hour strategy session. And uh, on that quiz questionnaire page, we have tons of case studies as well. And we have a one hour video presentation that I put together that's pretty in depth for those who really like to do some research. So yeah, looking forward to working with more painting contractors and helping them grow. Awesome. Again, he's Ryan Groth. He's the chief sales engineer and coach at Sales Transformation Group. Check him out at salestransformationgroup.com. Click in the top right, get a price fabulous information. Ryan, thank you so much for putting up with me and sharing such great information with our painting contractor listeners. Excellent work. Thank you. Honored to be here. And everybody else, go to paintmag.com. You'll see a ton of great resources. And Emily, I think I should go through my closets and get some video from my, basically my kickball highlight reel. We'll get that over to Michael, our marketing manager, and we'll put together a quick 45 minute highlight reel of, again, all of my kickball highlights. What do you think? I love it. Boom. Michael, consider yourself on notice. (laughs) I want it on my desk by Friday. Thanks for listening, everybody. Have a great day.